0: Uh, It's a joy to be here. Thank you for inviting us to to spend time investing into your children, to come up here and and guide all of us into worship. I love how you guys emphasize that. It's beautiful. We are all the worshipers unto the Lord. Yeah, it's a joy to be here. I I think as Adam mentioned earlier, I'm part of Josh Jen Wellington AM congregation and I'm also one of the, the teachers at the TMT Ministry School. And the more I speak, the more you'll probably notice that I sound a little different than most people you hear in this country. So that, that would be the, Amer- <clears throat> the American accent that, uh, that I still have. So I moved to South Africa about four years ago. So I've been living here about four years, uh, married to a wonderful South African woman, who I think is back with our little daughter in the back right now. Um, but yeah, it's just a joy to be here. I'm gonna share a little bit more about my story, but first I wanna, I wanna look at God's word together this morning and if you have your Bible with you, we'll have the scriptures up there. But if you could turn to, A- <clears throat> sorry, I pray for my voice here. Turn your Bible to the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 10. We're gonna spend some time in the book of Acts, chapter 10. And when I was asked to, to come here and preach, I began to, to pray and ask the Holy Spirit what is your message for Josh Jen Brooklyn on 29th of May, 2022? And I did that because I knew the Holy Spirit already knew in advance who was going to be sitting here this morning. He knew that each and every one of you would be here this morning. He would know exactly what's going on in your lives. The things you're excited about, the things that you're struggling with, the things that you're anxious about. He knew that in advance. So I began to pray and say, Holy Spirit, show me what your message is, what you want to come from my mouth for this congregation on this day. And as I prayed and I sought the Lord's heart for you today, I felt him highlight Acts chapter 10. In a moment, we're going to look there together. Uh, Right now, our congregation in Wellington, we're actually journeying through the book of Acts together, where each and every person in the congregation is, is reading a chapter a day. And they're spending time with the Lord, and they're, as they're in each chapter, they're saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to highlight to me today? What, what truth about, about who God is, what truth about the way I'm supposed to live my life do you want to highlight to me? And then each and every person, after the Holy Spirit highlights something to them, they're saying, how do you want me to apply this to my life, Lord? And then they're responding in prayer, they're responding in obedience day after day. We've been doing this all month and the the testimonies I'm hearing from everyone have been incredible. Just seeing, seeing God highlight different things in the same chapter as each person is reading it and seeing how people are adjusting their lives as God reveals his truth to them. It's been amazing. But I know you haven't been reading the book of Acts. Well, maybe you have, but I know your whole congregation hasn't been reading the book of Acts. So I actually felt led to to just highlight some of the things that happened in the first nine chapters of Acts. And um, the reason why is because this, this, this is the early church. This is the model of, of what it looked like when Jesus ascended to heaven and how, how the church reacted after that point and how they lived their lives. And I think there's so many things that we can, we can see here that can really, wow, just, just bring us to a place of fresh awe and wonder in both who God is as well as how the early believers lived their lives And as I share these stories, I want you to be listening and and really seeing if the Holy Spirit highlights something to you about the way that you view God or the way that you are currently living your life. Okay, so you can stay in Acts chapter 10 in your Bible. I'm going to do a quick overview of some of the things that happened in the first nine chapters. So chapter one, we see Jesus, he's, he's already come down from heaven, the Son of God, put on flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, and yet chose to go to the cross, die for our sins, brought back to life three days later, and now he's sitting here and he's talking to the apostles. And as he's talking to them, he stops talking, and next thing they know, he starts to be taken up in a cloud into heaven, and they watch him go up in a cloud into heaven. And if that wasn't wild enough, all of a sudden two angels appear next to the disciples and say, why are you looking up into heaven? As this this type of thing happens all the time, I imagine I probably would have been like, wow, while I was watching that. So that was was one of the things that happened in Acts chapter 1. Now Acts chapter 2, we see the believers, they're all together in one place, united in prayer, and then suddenly they see tongues like flames of fire resting on each other's heads. This is what they see. And then they start speaking different languages. So at that point it says that people from every nation under heaven were in Jerusalem and each of them heard their own language declaring the magnificent acts of God. That was chapter 2. Acts chapter 3. Here we have a man who was born lame at birth and was lame for over 40 years. He's carried to the temple to go beg for money. Now, two of the disciples, Peter and John, they're walking by, and they, and they tell this man, sorry, we don't have any money. But rather than continuing to walk, they actually give this man what they do have. And they tell the man, get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And this guy jumps up, and he starts walking, leaping, and praising God after being born lame from birth and then living that way for over 40 years. That was Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 4. Here... We see Peter and John, they're actually arrested and threatened by the religious leaders for speaking and teaching about Jesus. So they're finally released and they go back to the church to tell the church what happened. And the church, like a good church, says, hey, we should probably pray about this. But their prayer is very interesting. They don't pray, Lord, keep us safe. They actually pray, Lord, consider their threats and grant that we may speak your word with even more boldness and they stop praying. The place they're meeting in is shaken. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they actually go out and begin to speak the word of God even more boldly. That's Acts chapter four. Acts chapter five, here we see that everyone is actually selling all of their property and giving it to the apostles to distribute so no one is need in the entire church. There's no one in need in the entire church at this point. But there's a couple who decides to only give part of the proceeds from a, from a property they sold to the apostles. And Peter says to them, how could you plan this thing in your heart to lie to God? And they instantly drop dead. And the men come in, they carry them out, and they bury them. This, this is the New Testament. This isn't this is Old Testament. This is New Testament. Acts chapter six, you see Stephen, one of the early believers, he's, he's performing great signs and wonders. People don't like it. He actually has false witnesses come and accuse him before the religious leaders, and he's put on trial. And as the religious leaders look at his face, awaiting his response, they actually see the face of an angel looking at them. His face looks like the face of an angel. Chapter 7. From that place, he, he gives his response. He gives his defense. He actually gives one of the most incredible sermons I see in the Bible. But then he gets, uh, you want to talk about the preacher's worst nightmare. He gives this sermon, and the response is they actually rush him, they drag him out of the city, and they start stoning him. That is the response to the sermon he gave. But then his response is, is, is absolutely mind-blowing. While being stoned, about to die, his words are, Lord Do not hold this sin against them. You wanna talk about forgiveness. Chapter eight, here we have Philip, another one of the early believers. He sees a chariot, he chases down a chariot, carrying a high-ranking Ethiopian official. He shares the good news about Jesus, sees water and baptizes this official on the spot. But then, as they're coming out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carries Philip away to another town that's actually 35 miles away. But well, what I love even more than that is he comes out of the water, now all of a sudden it's just the official. I mean, Philip is gone, so the official, it's just the official, and the official doesn't seem bothered at all. The, the official just goes on his way rejoicing. <laughs> He's so overwhelmed by what God has done, he couldn't care less that the guy next to him just disappeared. He just goes on his way rejoicing. It's incredible. Chapter 9. Here God chooses his chosen instrument to take his name to the Gentiles, to the kings, to the Israelites. The guy who's going to write the predominant most of the New Testament. That's his chosen instrument. And he chooses a guy who's been busy breathing threats and murder against the disciples. He blinds him for three days. And then he sends a man to him and he says, tell my chosen instrument that I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This is his chosen instrument. Tell him how much I must suffer, he must suffer for my name. So this is the word of God. Realize this. this was normal life in the early church. Andrew Selly, who Adam mentioned earlier, he oversees and started and leads this church, He speaks of us not being a reformation. We're not trying to do something new as a church. We're actually trying to restore the church to look like what we see in scripture. We are a restoration movement. We believe that this is what the church is supposed to look like. And so we see a group of people that seems to be living a very radical life to what we see around us. And we have to ask the question, what did this group of people know? What did they see? What did they believe? What did they practice that resulted in living a type of life like this? What was different about this group of people? And so as we're engaging God's word, we're, we're asking the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom, to give us revelation about how we can live our lives like this, but essentially in a way that's pleasing to God and gives him all the glory, because that's what it's all about. Amen? Amen. So chapter 10. Here we are in chapter 10. So chapter 10, we find Peter staying in a town called Joppa. And the reason why he was there, he was called there because there was another disciple who had become sick and died. And Peter actually goes there, prays for this disciple, and this disciple sits up and lives again. And this miracle is known throughout Joppa, and many come to believe because of it. And you can hear stories like this about peter and say wow like peter he he must have really been something he must have really been special but when we read the gospels matthew mark luke and john we see peter is actually a pretty normal guy i mean jesus actually called him satan at one point get behind me satan peter denied him three times with jesus staying there right before they killed jesus i mean peter's actually a pretty normal guy but Peter was also someone who actually received and was filled by the Holy Spirit, and now by the power of the Holy Spirit was doing some pretty amazing, miraculous things. So we need to realize that about Peter. When we pick it up in Acts 10, verse nine. We see Peter actually is a pretty normal guy. So Peter, he, he goes up on the roof, it's about the sixth hour, so it's around noontime to pray. So this was customary at the time, they would pray at certain times during the day. Um, depending where they were, they may go up on the roof. But I love verse 10. Again, it just shows how normal Peter is. In the middle of praying, he became hungry and he actually wanted something to eat. And I imagine he would have probably stopped praying to go eat, except for the fact that lunch wasn't ready yet. They were still preparing lunch. So we see Peter on top of the roof, hungry, wanting something to eat. And he falls into a trance. And I'm not going to go too much into detail, but he has this amazing vision from heaven. He sees a sheet coming down with a bunch of animals. He hears a voice saying, kill and eat. He says, there's no way I'm killing and eating. These are unclean animals. The voice says, don't call unclean what God calls clean. This happens three times, and the sheet is taken back up to heaven. And it says, like, at this point, verse 17, it says, Peter, he's, he's perplexed. He has no idea what this vision means. No idea whatsoever. And then verse 19, we see that Peter, he's, he's sitting there on this roof. He's hungry. He's just seeing this weird, incredible vision from heaven. And he's pondering. He's thinking about the vision. And it's in this moment that the Holy Spirit doesn't tell him what the vision means. The Holy Spirit, out of nowhere, gives him instructions. He says, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And we see here just the, the beauty of the, the Holy Spirit speaking something very specific to him in that moment. You know, interrupting his thought process about a vision that came from heaven, interrupting him being hungry on top of this roof and speaking very specific instructions to Peter. And we have to realize that we have the same Holy Spirit that Peter does. And Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And the Holy Spirit wants to speak to each and every one of us as we're living our lives in the midst of doing that. And my first question for you this morning is, are you living your life in a way that when the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you, wants to give you instructions on how to live your life, that you will actually hear his voice? Are you living your life in that way? And is a both and. Are there times where you're actually asking him, God, what do you want me to do in this moment, in this situation, this thing that I'm going through? But also as you're in the midst of life, work, school, shops, wherever you may be, is there, is there a kind of an awareness that God may want to speak to me right now in this moment and give me directions that might not even make sense to me? You see, Peter, he's on the roof, he's hungry, lunch may even be ready now, it might be time to eat. He's thinking about this vision, he's, he's deeply perspec- perplexed, and yet, when the Holy Spirit spoke in that moment, Peter heard it. And let's look at Peter's response in verse 21, when the Holy Spirit spoke to him. So Peter hears the Holy Spirit, give him instructions, and then he goes down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for, here I am. And I want to actually keep in mind what Peter did not do in response to this moment. I think that could be very helpful because if I imagine myself in Peter's shoes, I I would love to think I responded as well as Peter did. I would love to think like, oh, sure, Holy Spirit, you're saying go downstairs to these three men I don't know, and you're saying just, just trust them, no hesitation, even though one's wearing a Roman soldier outfit, and just go with them. I would love to think that I would just do that. And maybe I would, by God's grace. But also I realize that... I might have sat there and said, man, I'm hungry. Like, I'm hungry. I've been hungry. They were making lunch. Lunch is is, is probably about ready now. Like, I'm hungry. Like, this is kind of inconvenient for me to, to go meet a bunch of strangers and go somewhere where I don't know where they're taking me. Like, that could have been my first thought. This is a little inconvenient. Maybe the Holy Spirit didn't know it's lunchtime. I mean, he's telling me to do this, but maybe he didn't know that lunch is just about ready. You know, that could have been my response. I could have just ignored his his prompting in that moment or another way i may have responded is i I may have heard the holy spirit say this and i may have said you know you know this this is kind of vague this is kind of vague i mean who are these men why have they been sent here where are you asking me to go i i kind of need a little more information before i before i really say yes to this I, i need to kind of make sure that i'm up for it and that may have been my response In that moment. But we see that Peter's response is he obeyed the Holy Spirit. He heard the Holy Spirit speak. And he did what the Holy Spirit told him to do. My second question for you this morning to consider is. If you heard the Holy Spirit ask you to do something. Would you do it? No matter what he asked. No matter what he asked. Whether it made sense to you whether it was convenient for you, whether it would be easy for you in your own mind and your own thoughts, if you heard the Holy Spirit ask you to do something, would you do it? No matter what he asked. I told you I'd share a little bit about our story and and coming to South Africa. I want to share two two moments in my life where I had this, this interaction with the Holy Spirit. So even though I grew up in the church as a child, for 34 years, I basically just lived life my way. I thought I was a good person by by my terms, by my standards. And it was only in 2011, about 11 years ago when I was 34 years old, um, that I realized I was wrong and I I surrendered my life to Jesus on that day. And at that point, I began to, to pray God, what do you want me to do with my life from a work perspective? I had left an accounting career, and I didn't know what God wanted me to do. And while I was praying, God, show me what you want me to do, I felt the Holy Spirit actually give me a where. I felt him say, go to San Diego, California. I wasn't praying about the where. <laughs> I don't know why God was giving me a where. I said, God, I don't want to move. I was living in Florida on the East Coast at the time. I didn't want to move. I was saying, God, what do you want me to do? And I, helped, I felt the Holy Spirit say, move to California, San Diego, California. Now, I didn't know anyone in San Diego, California. I didn't have a job there. It was on the other side of the country. But everything in me knew the Holy Spirit was saying, Go. And within a month, I downsized my two-bedroom apartment to what I could fit in my car. I drove 40 hours across the country to San Diego, California, not even knowing where I was going to sleep that night. It was a Wednesday morning. I got there. I had found a church online. I walked into this church. I stood in the middle of the lobby. I said, God, here I am. I'm in San Diego, California. Please lead me from here because I have no idea what's next. And from there, what God began to do over the next year or two Was surround me with amazing Christian brothers and sisters that would encourage me, that would spur me on to to growing in my walk with the Lord. And then the Lord led me to a a one-year ministry school, which radically transformed my view of him and the way I was supposed to live my life. And I'm so grateful for all the things that came from it. But I didn't know that was going to happen when I said yes to moving to San Diego, California. That was God's grace. That was his plan. He knew it was going to happen, but he didn't give me the whole picture. He just said, go to San Diego. I had to be obedient and trust him in that moment. And it's beautiful when you take these steps of faith with the Lord, as you do so, you see God show up. You see God do incredible, beautiful things every time you do that. That's who he is. And then your faith, it grows. You become even more stronger in your faith. You actually believe, yes, he is the way maker. I've seen it before. I've seen him do it in my life. I read it in this book. And a few years later, 2016, I was now married to my amazing wife. I'm sitting on my couch at home and I feel the Holy Spirit say, I want you to go to Cape Town, South Africa and lead a discipleship movement there. And it kind of sounds cool, right? It didn't sound cool to me. It sounded pretty scary, to be honest with you. Because at this point, I've been saved for less than five years. My only theological training was a one-year discipleship school I didn't even get a degree from. got a certificate, looked nice. So who am I to go lead a discipleship movement anywhere, let alone on the other side of the world in a continent and country that I've never even been to before? But God was gracious. God lovingly showed me it wasn't about me. It was about him and what he can do and what he wanted to do by me simply and obediently saying yes to what he was asking. 2018 came and we We downsized our two-bedroom apartment to six suitcases, and we moved to Cape Town, South Africa. We had no idea about Josh Jen at the time. And through the power of a Google search engine, three months later, God led us to the 412 conference that Adam mentioned. I can't recommend it highly enough. It wrecked me in beautiful ways. Because I go to this 412 conference, and I see thousands of people that love God and love one another in a way that I've never seen before. And I am wrecked. It's like scripture coming to life where I'm like, I I know the verse. I know the commandment, love God, love one another. But I, I see the way they're doing it. I was challenged personally. I don't even know if I'm living my life this way. And now that he's shown it to me, I need to make sure I adjust. And whatever I do in ministry, if I'm not producing this kind of fruit in people's lives... I'm missing the mark, and it wrecked me. But it was beautiful because God then led me to become part of Josh Jen, led me to become an elder in Josh Jen. I never thought I'd be an elder in a South African church. Led me to become part of staff at the ministry school here and be part of a discipleship movement that's training and equipping leaders across the globe as part of 412. It's incredible. But I didn't think it was gonna look like this. I just had to be obedient and go to Cape Town, South Africa like the Holy Spirit told me to and then continue to follow him each step of the way from there. And I'm just in awe at what God has done in me and through me as I've simply said yes to him time and time again, whether it was something seemingly small to me or whether it was something seemingly huge and impossible, like moving to the other side of the world. And when I said yes to the Holy Spirit to move to San Diego in 2012, I had no clue that I would be standing where I am right now. I'd have no clue I'd be an elder in a healthy, thriving church. I'd have no clue that I'd be a leader in a ministry school. I mean, if you told me at that point that I would be a pastor, I would have just laughed at you. I would have laughed. I'm not going to be a pastor. But Isaiah 55, we're reminded that that God's thoughts, God's ways, they're not ours. They're not ours. We have to remember that his thoughts, his ways, they're so much higher than ours. There's going to be many times where they will not make sense to us. And that's why it's so important that we trust him, we depend on him, and we follow him. And I've seen so many lives changed, including my own, by seeking to hear his voice and then saying yes to whatever he asks of me. Yes, Lord. I trust you. I may not understand it, but I trust you. As we look at this story in Acts 10, we see that in some ways the request the Holy Spirit made to Peter, it was pretty seemingly small. Just go downstairs and go with these three guys. I've I've sent them. But then look at the results that came from Peter's obedience. First, Acts 10, 28 we see Peter walk into Cornelius' his house. And he says, it's unlawful for me to be here. But God show me I should not call any person common or unclean. So now Peter understands that vision he was given. But he didn't get the understanding until he actually said, yes, just go with these three men. Then the understanding came. Then God showed him the next step after he went with the men. In Acts 10, so Cornelius, he, he shares his vision and the reason why he sent for Peter. And he says in verse 33, now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And man, may that be our heart posture whenever we gather on Sundays, whenever we gather around the word of God. I remember in the prayer meeting earlier, Adam's just like, man, we're, we're here in the presence of God. Otherwise, if that wasn't true, we should just go home. Why are we here? We're gathered in the presence of God, he's with us, he's here. And we're here to listen to everything that he wants to say to us. That's why we're here. We want to hear what he wants to say to us. And so Peter shares the gospel with them in verse 44. We see that Peter didn't even get to finish his sermon. <laughs> He's in the middle of his sermon. He's probably ready for the the big, the great ending, you know, the call for the response. He doesn't even finish his sermon. He's still saying these things, and the Holy Spirit falls on them while they're listening. And they're amazed. They're amazed because God has poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit for the first time on Gentile believers. For the first time on Gentiles. So Peter's seemingly small, simple obedience, it led to the first Gentiles being saved. That's a pretty big deal because 2,000 years later, we're sitting here as a group of Gentiles, saved because of Peter's simple obedience. So we see what transpired as Peter was obedient to what the Holy Spirit was asking him to do while sitting on a rooftop, hungry, waiting for lunch to be prepared. Stuart, if I can ask you to come up and just strum a bit behind me, please. Oh, no, I'm sorry, are you Stuart as well? Is your name Stuart? Oh, okay, Liam, no (laughs) worries. Sorry for the confusion. (laughs) Welcome, it's nice to have you here. Thank you, I received that. So, lastly, I want to highlight something about Cornelius. We've been talking about Peter and Peter's obedience to the Holy Spirit. But I think there's something very important for us to see about Cornelius and how he's described in this story. If we can get Acts ten chapter, I'm sorry, Acts ten verses one and two up there, we see how the Scripture describes Cornelius. It says he's a devout man. It says he feared God. It said he gave generously to the poor and he prayed regularly to God. I mean, by most accounts, he actually sounds like an elder's dream for a member of his congregation. Like I, could, I could see us as an eldership team saying, wow, that Cornelius, he is a devout, godly man. I can just sense the fear of the Lord on that man. I mean, not only is he here on Sundays and Wednesdays, Whenever we call a prayer meeting, he's here for our prayer meetings, too. He's a prayerful man. Not only does he tie to the church, he gives above and beyond. Wherever there's need, he's giving to the pantry, he's giving to those in need. He's got a generous heart. I mean, as an elders to team, we're probably talking about, man, we gotta make this guy a leader in the church. But it's critically important that we see and realize something about Cornelius. You see, even though Cornelius was a godly, devout man, a God-fearing man, a generous man, a prayerful man, he was not saved at that point in time. He was not saved at that point in time. How do I know this? Because in Acts chapter 11, when Peter is explaining these events to the other apostles and believers, he says this about Cornelius. Cornelius is describing the vision he got from the Lord. Where the Lord says, go and find this man named Peter. Why? Because he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. It was only after he heard the gospel message about Jesus and responded in belief to it and received the Holy Spirit that he was saved. Jesus speaks about this, John 3, 3. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He continues in verse 5. and He says, truly, I tell you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So why am I emphasizing this fact? Well, first of all, one thing I do not know is I do not know where each of you is at in your heart as you sit here this morning. It's my first time here. I, I don't know where you guys are at. But there is one thing that I do know. I know that the Bible says that there are actually many people, uses the phrase many, there are many people that think they are saved but aren't truly saved. And they'll only find that fact out on the day Christ returns and judges the living and the dead. And these people, they might think that they're saved because they they call themselves Christian. Perhaps they were raised in a Christian home. Perhaps they come to church on a Sunday to a church building. Perhaps they give money to the church. Perhaps they think they're a good person. Perhaps they even identify with the name of Jesus. But we see in Matthew chapter 7 some very, very sobering words that Jesus gives to his disciples. He says to them not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me you workers of lawlessness. Jesus says to them on judgment day, I never knew you. Does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? It's a very important question. With the way that you're currently living your life at this moment in time, would Jesus in fact say to you, I know you. And this passage highlights those two questions I asked earlier and why they're so important. Because he says it's the one who does the will of my Father in heaven that will be saved. So there has to be something in us that wants to know his will, that wants to speak to him, that wants to ask him, that wants to be available if he wants to speak to us, to know what he wants us to do, to know how he wants us to live our life. There has to be something in us of that. There has to be something in us as well that says, oh, this may be hard. I may have been doing it the wrong way. But Lord, forgive me. I want to do it your way. And that's actually the Holy Spirit actually one of the roles of the Holy Spirit He gives us if and when we are truly saved. I want to close, I want to share a a testimony. We had a a teenage girl and her parents come into our, our living room yesterday. Didn't know what they were going to speak about, but she, this girl opens up and shares about just some, some sin she'd been hiding for the last year or so. Parents didn't know about it until the day earlier, and she's just broken. She's just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want God to purify me. I don't want to do this anymore. I am so sorry that I've done this. And you just see this brokenness on her. And she actually shared how the the night before and in their youth meeting, they had mentioned Ezekiel 36. And it's this beautiful scripture For God says, I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. This girl actually refers to it. She says, I want a heart of flesh. I want him to take away this heart of stone and I want that heart of flesh he speaks about in that scripture. I felt to ask her how she understands what it means to be saved. And she understood the gospel. But then she said, I just feel like I'm a few steps behind where I should be. And I felt led to encourage her. (laughs) And it's very important for all of us who are saved to remember this. The standard is Jesus, the standard is perfection, but we also need to realize that we will never reach that standard until we see him face to face on that fateful day. We'll never be perfect. And it's only by God's grace that He 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 kind of shows us usually one way at a time that we're missing it. I mean, if we actually studied this whole book, we'd realize we are really, 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 really far away from living life the way Jesus did. But by His grace, He shows us one way. Just just this one way. Do you see how you're 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 not being patient with your wife right now? That's not my heart. I want you to love her no matter what she does or says. And day by day, he shows us one way. And then there should be something in us that once we see it, I might not have saw that. Yesterday, I may not have known that I was missing it with my wife. I may not have known that I was being impatient. I may have thought, man, that's her issue. She needs to sort herself out. But now God's shown me. He's shown me that I'm missing it. And because he's shown me now, my heart posture should be, Lord, forgive me. And Lord help me Ah, I know I can't do it on my own I need your help and this is the walk we have as believers day after day after day and I encourage this girl because verse 27 in Ezekiel 36 it says when you receive the Holy Spirit one of his roles is to actually move you in the direction of doing what God wants of following his commands of following his decrees so the mere fact that you're sitting on our couch right now, broken because of what you did, broken and crying over your sin and wanting to do what God wants, that tells me you're saved. That tells me you have the Holy Spirit within you, and the Holy Spirit's just telling you, "Come, come to me, come to your Father, come for forgiveness." Come for the strength and grace to live life the way I'm asking you to live. My question for each and every one of you this morning is does that describe you? Does that describe the reality of the way that you're living your life at this current moment of time? That you're not perfect, but There's something in you that wants to live life God's way. You know that's the right answer. You may not understand it all yet, but you know that is the way that you're supposed to live. And when he shows you things that you're missing it, that your heart is, Lord, forgive me, and Lord, help me to do it your way. Because that's evidence of the Holy Spirit within you. Does that describe you? Because my concern is if that doesn't describe you this morning, then there's a very, very real chance that when it's all said and done and you stand face to face with Jesus, that he could say to you, I never knew you. And I don't want that for any of you. I don't want that for any of you.